Hey y'all, I'm your host Gabrielle. And I'm Alan. Welcome to the Eerie Touch, where we dive into all things murder, mystery, and paranormal every week. Today's story may have you realizing, if you don't already, you never truly know someone. Not even the one you choose to marry. A Kentucky woman from Louisville, who almost seems too good to be true. A real southern charmer with her love for cooking and nurturing. A southern belle, as neighbors would describe her. She had it all, from materialistic to what really matters in life. When her husband Luther fell suddenly ill and afraid the angel of death was coming for him, it was no surprise that Pauline refused to leave his side. But what everyone didn't know was that that angel of death had been there all along. Luther was married to her. This is the story of Pauline Rogers. It's the year 1977, and Lucy Pauline Amos had been with her 46-year-old husband, Morris Amos, for 11 years now. She had two failed marriages before she met him, afraid that love just wasn't in her cards, and then when she least expected it, she met the love of her life. Morris took care of her financially, as well as truly loving her, and in return, Pauline was the perfect housewife. But not just on paper. She genuinely enjoyed it. It was just like second nature to her, and with a love for cooking, a want to nurture, and a need to provide, they were a perfect match. Morris was a gentleman, and Pauline was a sweet southern woman. Okay, it sounds perfect. So, what happened? Well, it's it's just not that simple to explain. Morris was this tall, husky, good old country man. He stayed active in some shape, way, or form and had never really been sick a day in his life. So it was just as shocking to neighbors as it was Pauline when he ended up losing 30 pounds in the time span of just a few weeks. He complained of stomach cramps and Pauline did everything she could to nurse him back to health buying over-the-counter medicine, fixing him homemade chicken noodle soup, and, of course, making him a bowl of one of his favorite sweets, strawberry ice cream. Though, when nothing seemed to help, she finally took him to see a physician. There was no denying that something was medically wrong with Morris, but for whatever reason, the doctor just writes him a prescription for vitamins with the advice of a high-protein diet. The pair travel back home with the hopes of Morris gaining his strength back, something that would never come. And as time progressed, he grew relatively worse. The poor man couldn't hardly walk now, and he began dulling out. His face had turned gray, and his fingertips had turned blue. This was enough for Pauline to rush him back to the doctor, but if you ask me, it was just as pointless as the first visit, if not worse. This time... The doctor advises Morris to just reduce his workload and try to rest. Wow, that's it? Yep. You're telling me this man had a gray face, blue fingertips, and a licensed medical professional took one look at him and said, you just need to get some more sleep. Mm -hmm. The man should have immediately been admitted to the hospital. He should have, but unfortunately, he wasn't. A decision or mistake, I should say, that would ultimately cost him his life. A week goes by after that second visit, when he is so bad off that Pauline finally takes him to the ER where he's admitted. 
Medical personnel take one look at Morris and know something really bad is wrong. Thankfully, the doctor in the hospital actually tries to help him, but it seems medical staff was just stumped. They performed numerous tests on Morris and was no closer to figuring out what was causing his mysterious illness, no quicker than the doctor before. They didn't have like an ideal or something that they thought, you know, it could have been? Kind of... Sorta, no. At first, they had thought maybe it was a virus or something because of a decrease in his white blood cells, but they didn't have enough evidence really to back that up. Soon after, they ended up claiming that it could be muscular dystrophy, though they didn't really have enough to back that up either. Well, what did they end up treating him for? Well, besides giving him fluids, steroids, and everything else that's just basic care, nothing, because they never got the chance. Morris passes away two days after being admitted on February 17, 1977, just three days after Valentine's Day. Pauline was taken back and in complete shock of everything that had just played out before. See, she had spent every waking moment with Morris while he was in the hospital. Nurses had even mentioned of her going home to get some rest of her own, but she wouldn't hear it. Pauline was not going to leave her husband's side, and she was not going to go against his quote-unquote wishes after death either. Doctors were still confused about this mystery illness and truly wanted to give the family what little closure they could by determining the cause of death. They talked to Pauline about having a post-mortem examination performed, and she acts completely disgusted that they would even ask such a question, claiming that her Morris would never approve of such a thing. Well, I mean, she is older, and a lot of older people, you know, especially from different generations, mm-hmm. they have a strong thoughts on, you know, basically cutting on someone after death or, you know, disturbing the body. And I can understand that, but when something this strange has claimed your husband's life, the man you love oh so much... Wouldn't you want to figure it out just in case if it was to happen again to someone else, then maybe their lives could be saved. Not to mention that Gary, Morris's son from a previous marriage, had tried to change Pauline's mind. He begged her to have the postmortem examination done, but all she would say to him was that no one was cutting on his daddy. Hmm, I mean, I, I guess I get what you're saying. It potentially looks bad, especially considering it didn't matter to him or her if they cut on him alive. Exactly. Anyways, so the funeral day comes and Pauline is acting just like any other devoted wife would. Crying and all around visibly upset. The day ends with Pauline going home to an empty house without her sweet Morris. She spent years tending to her own heart and trying to learn how to live alone, trying to find peace in solitude. Finally, After about five years, she finds that peace. She was just finding the strength within her to love again when she comes across 40-year-old Luther Rogers. Pauline was an attractive woman who had more to offer than just looks, and Luther picked up on that. It was one of the reasons he fell quick and hard for her. He was working at the Ford plant in Louisville as an assembly worker at the time. He was an old country man who never shied away from getting his hands dirty, and his way of love was old-fashioned, just the way Pauline liked. As the sole provider for the two, she stayed home and kept the house up. 
He would come home from work every day to a home-cooked meal on the table and a tidied-up house. And Pauline also had a green thumb. She gardened and tended to her flower beds. And Luther loved those down-to-earth aspects of hers. He knew about Pauline being a widow, and though it had been five years, he was always careful to make sure she was okay. His love was pure and soon led to marriage. After only a couple of months together, Luther and Pauline wed. He was the happiest he had ever been. It looked as if Pauline was getting her second chance at a fairy tale romance. Friends of the two would go on to talk about how good Pauline's food was and the fact that the two were always hosting dinners or having friends over for lunch. Pauline loved being a hostess. You know, it gave her the feeling of satisfaction when she was being praised, which should have been a red flag. What do you mean? Well, Pauline had a certain way of doing things. And when I say a certain way, I don't just mean, you know, you sit here and you sit there. If things didn't go exactly the way she wanted, Luther was sure to hear about it at the end of the night. As it later turns out, their relationship wasn't as fairy tale as everyone else was led to believe. The love turned dull only after a couple of months worth of marriage. And behind closed doors, that toxicity rose. Little arguments that were just building up until there was so much that both were secretly miserable and unhappy. But through it all, Luther tried over and over again to fight for Pauline. It wasn't fully one-sided, though. It was reciprocated to an extent, but in full toxic fashion, of course. When Pauline knew that she was pushing too much, she would put on that southern charm that always sold her. Cooking for Luther, making his favorite desserts, tending to him. What others may have viewed as overbearing, Luther viewed as charming. And the toxicity of it was... The fact that Pauline didn't mean any of it. We'll see sooner than later that it was all the role she played and played pretty damn well. Anyway, so... It's been about three months since the newlyweds tied the knot when all of a sudden, Luther begins to feel sick. He starts complaining of stomach cramps, headaches, and diarrhea. And at this point, the pair had been fighting a lot, which resulted in Luther being entirely stressed out about his home life. And this is what the both of them are kind of thinking that is causing his symptoms, his problems. Which is pretty plausible. They're pretty common factors, you know, when somebody feels stretched thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being sick to your stomach, turning diarrhea real quick, and then constant headaches. Yeah. Uh, we all know how emotions play on your actual physical health. Which is why no one batted an eye when Luther started complaining to his close friends about how he had been feeling, because he had already started to confide in those best friends about his troubles with Pauline. As she did with Morris, she rushes out to the store and buys all the meds one would get for the aches and pains Luther had. She cooked for him, loved him, and promised to see him through this. She devoted herself to caring for her latest husband, and he was in no position to decline his wife's nursing. As time went on, he grew progressively worse. It was so hard on his loved ones to watch him waste away to nothing. He was becoming so fragile that people were beginning to wonder why he wasn't in the hospital. Just like Morris, his fingertips had started to turn blue as his lips turned gray. After complaining, Pauline was really feeling the pressure or guilt to take him straight to the hospital, which she did. 
When they got there, doctors and nurses were just stunned when he made his arrival. They quickly started fluids and steroids while trying to discover what was going on with this seemingly healthy man. However, nothing seemed to have worked. All right, I'm sensing a connection here between Luther and Morris. Did any of the medical personnel, they think the same? Well, no. I'm thinking, first of all, this was a different hospital, and how were the staff supposed to know about an ex-husband from five years ago? Okay, well, good point. Mm -hmm. I just wonder, you know, if maybe anyone worked there that knew Pauline, at least knew enough to make some kind of connection, even if it was just a little thought. Hmm. I do not know. There's a possibility someone could have, but from what I could find, it hasn't been noted anywhere. Moving forward, though. As a week goes by, staff was just floored by how attentive Pauline was. They even gloated about it to other staff members. They thought that it was just so sweet that Pauline stuck by Luther's side through thick and thin. And by some mere miracle, he ends up gradually getting better within two months, so he's released to go home. However, he wouldn't be home very long. Within a couple of weeks, Luther is right back at the hospital with even more symptoms. He's now complaining of a constant burning thirst. He can't walk, and at this point, he can barely even move in general. Pauline doesn't skip a beat staying by his bed once again. She devotes her time to making her husband as comfortable as he can be. Luther's burning thirst was so bad that Pauline ends up bringing him some of his favorite strawberry ice cream with the hopes of it relieving some of that burn. She hand-feeds it to him and throws the container in the garbage and continues her loving role. Now, this time around, doctors decide to test for some unusual, well, at this time around this place, unusual things. Since nothing else was coming clear on all of those exams and tests they've already performed, they decide to run a urine dialysis. Little did they know, that dialysis would bring this whole mystery to light. At some point when Pauline isn't in the room, the doctor comes in to talk to Luther. He discusses what the results were on that urine dialysis. And what did it say? That someone was poisoning him with arsenic. Now, normal arsenic levels in urine are at the most 200 milligrams. Now, this is usually considered organic arsenic, and it can come from common foods like we eat, for example, fish. Our bodies can't absorb it, so naturally it exits through our urine. Luther? He had 200,000 milligrams in his urine, which is just an outrageous amount. Yeah. So, (laughs) 200 milligrams is normal. Mm -hmm. And he had 200,000 milligrams? Yep. Uh, That's a thousand times more than it should have been at the most. Mm -hmm. Luther is just as astonished as I'm sure most of you are. He explains that he has absolutely not the slightest idea of how that could be. Yet, when doctors ask him about who he thinks could be poisoning him, it doesn't really take him any time to tell them my wife. Now, they start monitoring all of his food and make way for security to keep an eye out for Pauline. Now, following protocol, medical staff had already alerted authorities when they discovered the high dosage in his system. Police and investigators arrive when Pauline made a trip back to the house. After finding out some more info on Pauline, like their toxic marriage and 
how she's the only one who has been feeding him for a while now, she becomes their number one suspect. Well, did Luther tell him about Morse? He did not. You see, because Pauline wouldn't let them do the post-mortem examination, doctors didn't really know what caused his death, so they just kind of put down that he had a heart attack. And I doubt that Pauline would want to give out details anyways that could ever implicate her in a murder. That's true. Although, after checking out her background and digging around a bit, authorities do end up looking into Morris's death. After talking to the county coroner, Richard Greathouse, and discovering the suspicious activity that played out surrounding Morris's death, in June of 1982, his body was exhumed. Upon further investigation, the coroner concludes that his death was, in fact, murder. What that county coroner concluded was Morris's hair held 460 milligrams of arsenic, his stomach had 470 milligrams of arsenic, and his fingernails had 18,000 milligrams of arsenic. Well, arsenic remains in hair follicles and Mm -hmm. fingernails, even after death. Plus, back then, it was pretty easy to get, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure it was even in insecticides, you know, bug killer, you know, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. One's probably the one she used in her flower beds and stuff. Mm-hmm. You are on the right track. Morris had been poisoned for a whole year before he passed away. Digging even deeper, police found what they believed to be the motive behind Morris's death. She, Pauline received the house, a life insurance policy, and property, but the real kicker was his social security checks. But while the coroner was running an autopsy on Morris, investigators were testing that ice cream container that Pauline had threw away. See, earlier, nurses were asking Luther everything he had ate that day, and when he remembers she threw that stuff in the trash, police snatched it right up. And wouldn't you know, it comes back positive for arsenic. With the testimony of Luther, evidence, and Pauline's history, authorities have more than enough to finally arrest her, and that is exactly what they do. And what did she say about what she was being accused of? Well, she gets an attorney, and her defense team in the beginning claimed that Pauline was poisoning Luther for the safety of her and her grandchildren, who she cared for for her safety oh yeah they attempted to paint luther out to be this abusive husband in the beginning but we'll get to that in a second back to her arrest real quick she only stays behind bars for one night as the next day she makes her $2,500 bail and goes back home she's not home very long before she's taken to the hospital for stomach cramps And it's discovered that she had tried to poison herself with the same arsenic she murdered both of her husbands with. Pauline failed that suicide attempt, and she ends up making a full recovery. Which leads me to believe that it was all for attention. I mean, she'd been killing for a hot minute now, and you would just think that she would know how much arsenic to give herself if she really wanted to kill herself. And I'm not the only one that felt that way. There were numerous neighbors and people that knew her and Luther who gossiped about it and said the same thing. Her trial begins with abuse allegations against Luther, but there was just no evidence to back that defense team's theory up. 
Prosecutors believe Luther was just worth more to Pauline dead. Just like she did with Morris. She got that life insurance policy from him, his social security checks, and his property too. If she would have succeeded at her goal, Pauline would have received an $80,000 life insurance policy plus more property. Wow. Mm-hmm. And just like I had said before when I told you that you were on the right track with her insecticide, authorities believe that she did use that insecticide to kill Morris and Luther. See, back then, like you said, there was arsenic that was found in a lot of insecticides. And I mean, it was wildly commercialized. So it really wasn't that hard to get. So when authorities and investigators went back to Luther and Pauline's house, just scoping through everything, they came across the world famous insecticide that she used, which contained a lot of arsenic. And inside the house, they had actually found a dropper that had traces of arsenic in it. So they believe she was using that dropper to mix her little concoctions up in the food that she was serving both Luther and what she had served Morris. So they believe that she used her insecticide arsenic to get her closer to the money. She's portrayed to the jury as a narcissistic actress who would kill to get what she wanted, who had killed to get what she wanted. She was deceitful in every aspect of her life. She was a cold-blooded murderer. The defense was stumbling to change their game up, and by the end of the trial, they changed it to she was poisoning Luther so she could feel close to him. (laughs) feel close to him (laughs) what in the world yeah (laughs) it makes no sense and ultimately (laughs) the jury didn't bite either it only took them 90 minutes to deliberate and they come back with a guilty verdict for the murder of morris amos and the attempted murder of luther rogers which i'm really surprised her defense team didn't try to use the defense of her having munchausen by proxy which if you don't know that's when someone who has this illness, they make someone around them, a loved one or someone close to them, sick on purpose so they can, you know, feel needed, be the hero. They can be the ones to nurse them back to health. And I'm just very surprised that her lawyers did not try that. But for whatever reason, I'm sure even if they did, the jury would have came to the same conclusion that they ultimately did here. Lucy Pauline Rogers was sentenced to two 20-year sentences that were to be served consecutively. Yet, to this day, she denies murdering Morris. She honestly sounds dumb to me. You know, you openly admit in trial that you were poisoning your fourth husband and then expect people to believe that all of the evidence regarding Morris was just circumstantial? Like, honey, you sound dumb. Of course she does. And I'm not surprised. I, I agree with the prosecutors. Mm-hmm. If you pay attention, it's not that hard to pick up on someone's behavior. Yes. Pauline was a narcissist who wanted to be independent, yet needed a husband to support her. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be viewed as a devoted, loving wife, yet she was careless and sadistic. She thought she was being smart, when in reality she was being just ignorant, ignorant and arrogant. Uh-huh. And the truth eventually always comes to light. Yes, it does. Luther Rogers did end up making a recovery, but not scotch-free. Given the high dosage of arsenic and the longevity of him taking it in there was just too much damage that had been done that was unreversible. 
Luther ended up being confined to a wheelchair, and Pauline Rogers is serving her sentence in the Kentucky Women's Correctional Facility exactly where she belongs, in a cage. Again, I'm your host, Gabrielle. And I'm Alan. We'll talk next week. You can check out our website, theerietouch.com, for our reference photos and source materials for each episode. You can listen to this podcast on basically every platform out there, and we would really love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast at. It could really help us out.